This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Nunfrey. Now, anyone listening to this podcast with Niall Stanage over the last six years will be in no doubt about the crisis in America, crisis that revolves around the fact that there appears to be no consensus over many serious matters. It's very difficult to govern. And of course, Donald Trump was the president when we began this podcast, and Niall has guided us through the Trump years and since. And of course, for the last 12 months, the House of Representatives have had a committee sitting, a select committee, investigating what happened, taking testimony from people who were involved on January the 6th, 2021, when there was an insurrection, an armed insurrection, an attack on the Capitol, the sanctity of which is, that is a symbol of America and its democracy, and they almost succeeded in stopping the certification of the Electoral College votes that saw Joe Biden become the next president of the United States. This hearing has lasted a year now. It hasn't really gained much traction, but last night there was a witness who revealed some extremely important evidence and very worrying evidence. To put it in context, Bob Woodward and Carol Bernstein, both interviewed on television after this testimony, agreed that this was much worse than Watergate, which saw Richard Nixon resign from the presidency. But what has been now unearthed about Donald Trump and his behavior, they believe is much worse. And on its face, it is. We're joined from Washington now by Niall Stanich. Niall is associate editor of The Hill, a Washington newspaper that is greatly respected because it is not a partisan publication, certainly nothing like as partisan as some on the liberal and right wing of American politics are. Niall, thank you very much for joining us. I had to put some context there to look at the significance of this committee and the public airing on television of their hearings or their conclusions as they draw them over the last week to 10 days 
It has attracted significant audiences on television. They stopped the hearings last week, but they held a special session yesterday because the witness they had, Cassidy Hutchinson, was a senior aide to Mark Meadows, who was Donald Trump's chief of staff, and Cassidy Hutchinson was able to give testimony to what was happening in the White House with Donald Trump on the day of January the 6th, while armed assault on the Capitol was in progress. The first point I'd like to clarify with you is that this select House committee has more or less been ignored by Republicans. There are two Republicans on it, Liz Cheney, the daughter of Dick Cheney, who was vice president to George W. Bush, a very conservative Republican. His daughter, Liz Cheney, is on the committee, and she conducted some of the questioning last night of Cassidy Hutchinson. Niall, I found, like Woodward and Bernstein, what Ms. Hutchinson had to tell the committee astounding and troubling. What yes. did you make of it, and what has America made of it? I think it was certainly extremely dramatic testimony, Eamon. This was the sixth public hearing of the January the 6th Select Committee, and it was certainly the most dramatic, at least since the opening hearing, which had been screened in primetime. Um, disturbing, I think, was the word you used, and I think that is very fair in a number of respects. Substantively, I think the biggest single revelation from Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony was that Donald Trump, then President Trump, knew that people who were going to the rally he held immediately before the Capitol insurrection, a rally that was held on the ellipse near the White House, that uh, a number of his supporters arriving to that were armed, had, had weapons of various descriptions, not just guns, but some knives, bear spray, things like that. And firstly, he didn't appear to particularly care Secondly, he urged um, the Secret Service to remove the metal detectors to enable those people to come in, because according to Cassidy Hutchinson, he was irate about the crowd not seeming as large as he wanted. Yes. But thirdly, and most importantly, Trump, again by her account, knowing that those people were armed, wanted to lead them to the Capitol afterwards and was only dissuaded from going to the Capitol himself uh, by the Secret Service in, in heated but disputed circumstances. Those three related details about his knowledge of members of the crowd at the ellipse being armed, I think, were particularly dramatic and particularly disturbing. Yes, and he is quoted by Ms. Hutchinson, who was one must remember was working in the Trump White House and presumably, you know, was Republican. She was a young woman, 24. She was a senior aide to Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff. What you say about the metal detectors is one of the most extraordinary elements of this. The metal detectors were there to detect any arms or weapons that might cause trouble. And he wanted them taken away. And he said, the following, take the effing mags away. Let my people 
in. They can march to the capital from here, let the people in, take the effing mags away. They may have guns, but they're not going to shoot me. Mm. That was, in essence, what he said. In other words, he had no problem with an armed mob and, from other evidence, an organized armed mob that had been preparing for this moment, the moment when at the Capitol, Vice President Mike Pence was certifying the legitimacy of the election, the integrity of the election. That was his job as Vice President to certify that all was in order and that Joe Biden would be the new president. He had been receiving heavy pressure from Donald Trump not to do this which was his duty. He had resisted until this point, and the mob knew this, and the chants of many were, hang Mike Pence, who was had to be escorted away into a secret cellar to save his life. And when this was put to Donald Trump, his reply was, if they hang him, he deserves it. Mm. This is the President of the United States, and possibly, maybe even probably, he could again be President of the United States in 2024. Mm. He certainly could. I mean, he's clearly the front runner to win the Republican nomination in 2024. The comment that you relate in relation to Mike Pence, I think, is worth tracing in a little bit more detail. This again came out of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. As you say, senior age Mark Meadows, talking to Mark Meadows all the time through these uh, events. And by her account, as the riot at the Capitol was erupting and intensifying, there were obvious concerns among some of the staff as well as the wider world about what was going to happen. And a rather... um, well, I don't know about unlikely hero, but somebody who at least seemed to have some uh, concern about what was happening was uh, the White House counsel, a man by the name of Pat Cipollone. And by Cassidy Hutchinson's account, Pat Cipollone urged Mark Meadows to do more and to get Trump to do more to quell the violence that was literally taking place as they were speaking. Meadows and Cipollone had just left talking to Trump. And by Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, when Cipollone urged Meadows to get Trump to take more action, Meadows replied, you heard him, Pat. He think Mike, Mike being Mike Pence, deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. They, of course, being the, the rioters, the insurrectionists, some of whom were chanting to hang Mike Pence. I mean, it really is worth underscoring what an extraordinary situation we're talking about. Yes, and if we go back to one of his debates with Biden, which is the first time many of us had ever heard of the Proud Boys, Mm. the Proud Boys were mentioned, and he was asked about them, and he gave an extraordinary reply that resonates now in the light of the testimony we've heard. Yes, he said that the uh, the proud in that debate that you're referring to, yes. he was asked about accepting the election results and whether he would also 
um, distance himself from extremist groups. And he said of the Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. Um, a yes. a uh, comment that was extremely controversial at the time. And in fact, I remember you and I speaking about it at the time. Um, it has, of course, been cast into sharper relief, not just by the events of January the 6th, but by what we have subsequently discovered about those events, um, discoveries that, of course, have been driven in large part by the uh, select committee that we're referring to. Now, another piece of evidence, and perhaps the most damning, is that when he had made his speech at the Ellipse, Donald Trump got into the presidential limousine, which is known as the Beast, Mm. and he wanted to go with the mob Mm. to the Capitol. And he was urged to go back to the White House. He couldn't go to the Capitol. According to Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, what he then did was try to grab the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And actually, he lost the plot mm-hmm. completely and had to be stopped by a man called Anthony Ornato, I think, who was the chief of, of White House operations mm-hmm. and resisted and resisted pretty strongly. Yes, this, no, we will have to be fair um, and say that this piece of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony has very recently been challenged or disputed. Yes. It's, the, it's the one key piece of her evidence that is disputed. Her version is that after that scene that you have just described in the car, it was described to her by uh, Tony Ornato, who was uh, also working in the White House, former Secret Service guy himself. And they were in the presence of Robert Engel, who was the head of then-President Trump's security detail. And the version that Hutchinson says she was told was that uh, Trump lunged for the steering wheel, um, exclaimed all sorts of profanities, and in fact kind of tussled with one, one of the Secret Service agents. May have been Engel, that's not totally clear. Yes, and put his hand on the agent's throat in a a fit of rage. Yes, or collarbone or somewhere somewhere around there. Now, the Secret Service or Secret Service officials have been briefing that uh, Mr. Engel and the driver of the car on that day are prepared to testify if called upon that those two, the lunge for the steering wheel and assault did not happen, yes. though they are not prepared to um, to dispute that the then president was angry and wanted to go to the Capitol. The desire, the, of course, the lunging and the tussling is a very vivid detail and, and it sort of is something that has got a lot of people talking. It's also the case that the desire to go to the Capitol on Trump's part, leading this uh, mob, in effect, that he knew a number of people were armed within that mob, that, it seems to me, is the substantively important point, which is not disputable. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. After the testimony last night, I understand that the Secret Service have offered to testify, if called upon to do so, about the events of that particular day. That's right, yes. It's a very sensitive issue for obvious reasons, the Secret Service, because the Secret Service, particularly when protecting high-level people, depends to some extent on their being allowed and permitted to be discreet, and so they are typically reluctant to testify or to go on the record about anything that happens that only they can see because it would destroy trust between them and their protectees. But in this case, it seems that they are uh, willing to testify on the record. I believe, although this is not entirely clear, I believe some members of the Secret Service have already done so. And so uh, I'm just really putting the asterisk there that, yes. that particular, those particular sequence of events uh, are disputed. Yes, and just to be clear, what Donald Trump wanted on January the 6th was not the formal certification that Biden had won the Electoral College votes, which was the end of the Trump presidency. What he was intending to do, and what he'd asked Pence to do, was to send the Electoral College votes back to the states Mm. that had sent them to Washington as proof that the results, for example, in Georgia, when he told the Secretary of State for Georgia, Raffensperger, when he asked him to find votes and he gave him a number, 11,750, he wanted these votes to go back to the states where they could be contested again. and and. He often said, and it was almost a a catchphrase, we've got to get to the courts. We've got to get to the courts. Mm. Now, this is going somewhere, obviously, Mm. in the light of Supreme Court findings. But if they got to the courts, he seemed to believe that if Pence did his stuff for the cause, returned the Electoral College votes to some of the states. The courts and the states 
might get into dispute and he might retain his presidency in the courts. Yes, his hope was that he would prevail by a very um, roundabout route. And that Rudy, route- Rudy Giuliani, who is widely discredited now, he was America's mayor after 9-11. He was the last person to stick with Trump through this day and many others subsequently. He is a widely discredited figure now for good reason, one has to say. He was another person who kept referring to the courts. In other words, the votes of the people didn't matter, but they felt they'd win in the courts. Yes, that that was their argument, at least. There were two things that had to happen. One was by... So the first step was for Pence to refuse to certify the election on January yes. the 6th. Had he done so, the argument then was that he would have declared the results in certain states in dispute or yes. otherwise under a cloud, which they were not, in fact. And very conservative people, including Bill Barr, then the Attorney General, had told Trump that there was no evidence of widespread fraud. In any event, had Pence refused to certify the election results in those states, there were instances where the Trump people like Rudy Giuliani and like another very conservative lawyer, John Eastman, believed that uh, Republican-dominated legislatures in those states could have then sent alternate slates of electors in the Electoral College to deliver those states to Donald Trump, despite the fact that he had, in fact, lost in those states. That would clearly have precipitated legal challenges. Now, this is where this gentleman, John Eastman, gets into very eccentric and fringe theories. Eastman's broad, and I'm summarizing here, his broad hope was that when those legal challenges emerged, the courts would perhaps have said, it's nothing really to do with us. It's something that has to be uh, played out either at the state legislative level or at the federal political level. Um, Now, that was, I mean, to say that's a minority view isn't even close. Uh, You know, I mean, there there were some suggestions that even in the Supreme Court, they would have lost, you know, 9-0 in that regard. But that was the overall plan that you could have got. Pence not to certify, Republican legislatures to put up alternate slates of electors, and the courts to uh, uh, abstain from getting involved, really. And that the, in that way, you could ultimately engineer Donald Trump's return to power for a second term. Yes, and the other, well, it's worth a fleeting mention, should we say, the other evidence that Ms. Hutchinson gave was of Donald Trump in the Oval Office dining room when he heard his former Attorney General, Bill Barr, give an interview saying there was no fraud in the election. And one must point out here that William Barr had been a fairly subservient Attorney General when Barr said there was no fraud. And when, in fact, he told the January 6th Select Committee that it was bullshit, and that's Mm. his word, Mm -hmm. Trump went mad and threw his his lunch at the wall. And Cassidy Hutchinson tells of going in there to see Mark Meadows, her boss, and seeing the president's lunch on the wall and a, bro- and a broken plate, tomato ketchup everywhere. But it gives a, something 
of an idea of a man, the president of the United States, out of control in a big way because people won't lie for him and tell outrageous lies. I mean, if there was any chance Bill Barr could help him, I'm sure Bill Barr would have Mm. because he had done a lot of really rather questionable things during the previous six months to help the Trump presidency. Yes, and Bill Barr was really uh, well-known and reviled by liberals for his uh, summary of the Mueller report, uh, the Mueller report into uh, alleged Russian collusion, uh, and Barr was perceived to have given a very pro-Trump gloss on that report before the full text was released, uh, something which was perceived to dull the impact of Robert Mueller's report. As you say, uh, Barr would not go for these claims of fraud because there was simply no evidence to support them. Um, As far as the, the bigger picture is concerned, you, I think, used the term about Trump seeming out of control. That, to me, was the the overarching theme of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony. It yeah. was that this was a person who, you know, by no normal or fair stretch of the imagination, uh, would be f- considered fit to hold high office. She, we should emphasize, is by no means the only person to testify to that. Effect. Mr. Barr, who we've just mentioned, said yes. that he thought that Trump was becoming, and this is a quote, detached from reality in the days after losing the election. Yes. Um, as far as the sort of blustery demands to lie are concerned, um, the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, received a call from the, the then president in which, and you and I have talked about it before, he was instructed or pressured to, quote, find unquote, the precise number of votes that Trump needed to overturn uh, Joe Biden's majority in the state of Georgia. So, I mean, this is pretty Tony Soprano kind of stuff, but coming from the uh, then president of the United States. Yes, and just worth pointing out that one of the strengths of the committee, the select committee that's inquiring into what happened is in the recent evidence we've heard is that most of it is coming from Republicans. I mean, Mm. Raffensperger had voted for Donald Trump. Mm. He was a Republican who was prepared to to do that. And clearly Cassidy Hutchinson was. Now, just a couple of things, Niall. Mark Meadows was his last chief of staff. He has refused to go before the committee. And Pat Cipollone, who you mentioned, he has also refused to go before the committee and give evidence. And they can do that really almost with impunity, can they? Well, technically not with impunity, but in reality, perhaps with impunity. I I cannot exactly remember whether those two gentlemen have been subpoenaed or not. I know they have been requested to give evidence and have declined to do so. Um, There are a number of people in Trump's orbit who have declined to do so. One particular prominent instance where there are at least potential consequences uh, is our old friend Steve Bannon, who has refused and has been charged um, with... uh, uh, criminally charged with the refu- uh, uh, regarding his refusal to uh, comply with a subpoena. But uh, right now, there doesn't appear to be any imminent threat to that happening to Mark Meadows or to Pat 
super loan, at least as far as I'm aware. Now, we mentioned the courts there. I mentioned the courts and, of course, Rudy Giuliani. They had gone before many courts and been thrown out mm-hmm. in the build-up to January 6th, but they couldn't find a court to support what was really unsupportable. Let's turn to the Supreme Court, Niall, because in the last seven days, there have been two judgments, one overturning the Wade v. Roe ruling on abortion, which had the effect immediately of abortion clinics closing down. And, of course, it was decided and a settled matter, it was believed, in 1973. Two of the judges who are on the court now, Donald Trump has put three of them, judges, conservative judges, on the court. Two of them indicated in their hearings that they believed it was a settled matter and that they would not be revisiting it. Clearly, they did revisit it. The other decision was about gun control, and they struck down a law that New York has had for over 100 years, that people had to go through a process before they could get a gun. Not a very rigorous process, one imagines. These two rulings are definitive, of course, but they have had, the abortion one in particular, a dramatic effect in America, which brings me to Clarence Thomas and his wife, Ginny. Mm. Clarence Thomas is an extremely controversial man, and I don't like to quote Maureen Dowd of the New York Times or anybody else, because journalists are journalists. However, she wrote a long piece for the Irish Times this week about Clarence Thomas and how he was appointed to the Supreme Court despite very serious allegations against him by a woman called Anita Hill who had worked for him. They were accusations of sexual harassment and the chair of that, 40 years ago this is, the chair of the committee that heard the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearing was Joe Biden. And Biden refused to allow two witnesses for Anita Hill who were slated to give evidence, supportive evidence. Biden, in an attempt to cement bipartisanship because an affirmative action because Clarence Thomas is an African-American, would not let those people be heard, which is extraordinary. The other extraordinary thing is this. In the rulings about the Roe v. Wade matter last week, Thomas said at the same time as this ruling was being handed down that he was prepared to look at other controversial matters relating to behavior, that is, consensual same-sex relationships, the marriage of same-sex couples, and indeed the question of contraception. Mm. Now, that is a remarkable, that's where America appears to be. Mm. What effect is that having? I mean, when, you know, when Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings took place, he told the committee, I'm a 
don't rock the boat kind of judge. Mm. He, he's not. <laughs> if, if these rulings are to be... So there's the Roe v. Wade matter, there's the New York guns matter with these massacres we've seen recently. And then, of course, there is the prospect of Clarence Thomas going even further out into the wilderness. There certainly is. And it all, in aggregate, underlines the fact that the Supreme Court in the United States is enormously powerful and has a history of deciding some of the most divisive issues in America. Now, as to the Clarence Thomas position on the rights that you mentioned, this goes to the idea which is espoused by people like Clarence Thomas and Justice Alito to some degree as well, that there is no right to privacy in the American Constitution. Yes. The right to privacy was established way back in 1965, and it was in one of the cases that you referred to, the so-called Griswold case, found that uh, at that point, married couples had the right to contraception. It was none of the government's business to try to prohibit that right. And the reason it was none of the government's business was that, as, as the opinion offered, in the penumbras of the Constitution, there was a right to privacy, a right to freedom from government intervention in the most intimate areas of life. That uh, apparent right to privacy was then expanded or applied to, uh, as you say, you know, same-sex marriage, to interracial marriage to, to some degree, to uh, same-sex intimate relations and other topics like that. If, as Clarence Thomas appears to believe, that right does not exist, then it calls all the other cases into question. Yes. Now, it seems inconceivable really, uh, in many ways, that something like contraception could be, the right to contraception could be uh, rescinded. Uh, I mean, that's such an accepted thing that I, I don't even see any polling on whether an, any Americans disagree with that right. But to your broader point, Eamon, it is emblematic, I think, of where the country is, where the Supreme Court is, where some of these um, polarizing forces are, and and the sense among not just liberals, but people in what at least used to be the center ground, that the ground is shifting very, very, very fast. Uh, just briefly on the abortion question, the Supreme Court released its ruling on that uh, and rescinded the guaranteed right to abortion. By that night, Nine states, by the New York Times count, had banned or severely restricted abortion. So it's uh, extraordinary times we're living in. Yes, and the final paragraph of Maureen Dowd's piece for the New York Times this week, which is syndicated to the Irish Times, says, the court, and I quote, the court is out of control. We, that is the American people, feel powerless to do anything about it. and." Thomas, of all people, she says, has helped lead us to where we are with unaccountable extremists dictating how we live. And that, she says, is revolting. It's actually more than revolting. It's very troubling. And I want to just get back to the Trump, which I think it's fair to say this was an attempted armed coup. But leave that to one side. It was certainly unpresidential. 
And it was certainly, I think, on the evidence that they have gathered for this House Select Committee, I think that criminal charges, most lawyers seem to think as well, could be laid against the President of the United States. Ginny Thomas, who is Clarence Thomas's wife, got involved at that point around January the 6th when these people, and this is another charge, appeared to have been plotting, Niall, that this was not the spontaneous groups of proud boys and so on, make America great again, people turning up at the Capitol. This was organized, and it was organized by associates of the President of the United States. Is there anything there that you find not right in, in what I've just said? I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, ju- just to take the Ginny Thomas example um, briefly. I mean, she, according to the Washington Post, wrote to 29 Republican state lawmakers in Arizona, urging them to set aside, and that's the Washington Post term, Joe Biden's popular vote victory and choose their own presidential electors. And the Post obtained some of these emails where Ginny Thomas, a well-known conservative activist, in addition to being Clarence Thomas's wife, had urged those lawmakers to, quote, stand strong in the face of political and media pressure, unquote, and claimed that the uh, ability to choose electors who would then go forth into the Electoral College was, and I'm quoting again, yours and yours alone. Uh, In other words, saying what the people of Arizona, the voters of Arizona, had decided in that election was sort of beside the point, and that these Republican lawmakers could just decide otherwise. Um, That seems a a fundamental uh, existential assault on the whole basis of democracy, even though it was wrapped up in these, uh, frankly, rather specious accusations of fraud. Yes, and the final point, Niall, it gives some resonance to Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump's almost mantra, get to the courts. Mm. In other words, if they could get to the courts, find one extreme judge, Mm. and there appears to be a few of them, they they might end up before a court that would be prepared to accommodate them, and then the election would be null and void. Well, that was that was the hope. I mean, the, one of the critical things about the twenty twenty election was that the line held um, just about, uh, and the line held, you know, judicially, where the courts rebuffed. Um, virtually every single challenge that the Trump people uh, took. And it also held, uh, to give someone like Bill Barr his due, it held in his refusal to go along with Trump's uh, fictions. It held in Mike Pence's refusal, to his credit, and that's some physical danger to himself, to refuse to stop the certification of the election. But had any of those people been more pliant with the wishes of then-President Trump and his allies, we would be in a whole different world and a very ominous one, in my opinion. Yes, for evil to prevail, all it requires is that good men and women, of course, do nothing. Final question, Niall, about your own feelings about this and the feelings of people you work with. Is this darkening the mood 
of people in the United States. This whole saga, this Trump experience, these two Supreme Court decisions, the idea that a wife of a Supreme Court justice should be really preaching anarchy. Mm. For us in Europe, facing into Putin, looking at the way this has played out, if the United States of America were to depart from what we might call the Western, the free world consensus, then Europe would be, you know, we've got skin in this game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, there is certainly a concern now. How widespread it is is a different question, but there is certainly a concern about the erosion and dimming of American democracy in some quarters. Not one, I should say, that is confined by any stretch to sort of uh, wild-eyed liberals. I mean, there are a number of academics who have written very serious books about how democracy comes to get hollowed out. Uh, and I mean, you used the, you, you mentioned Europe. I mean, Mr. Yes. Orban, for example, yes. in yes. Uh, in Hungary yes. would be an example of that. So yes. there are, I think, very uh, deeply felt concerns with uh, or on the part of a lot of Americans about these dangers, about the fact that January the 6th was not, as they had hoped, a sort of lancing of the boil, but rather a kind of uh, milestone along a rather ominous road. Now, having said all of that, Republican voters approve of Donald, about four out of five, roughly, approve of Donald Trump, review him favorably. He is the overwhelming favorite still to win the 2024 nomination. And if, if he wants the Republican nomination, And there are, as you and I have discussed before, a very significant swathe of the American public who, after all this, still do not believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president. So you put 70% of Republican voters. Yes, certainly around that, around that ballpark. Absolutely. So that you put all of that together and it is um, a alarming picture, I think. Yes. Now, we're very grateful to you for joining us uh, from Washington. Thank you very much indeed, not just for this podcast, but for informing us and stand listeners of what has transpired in America for the last six years. (laughs) Uh, Let's hope we get another six years out of it. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Before Ginny Ginny Thomas arrives and knocks on the door. Um, We're very grateful to Niall, who's associate editor of The Hill and a very good writer. It's a paper or a website. If you can get on, you should get on too. We're grateful to Niall, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.